1: eyes of the world, the eyes of the populations of the world are on you and we have your numbers.
2: That lingering century leaves main and we'll see what comes next.
1: We need to make sure that what sits there on a piece of paper is actually going to turn into tangible, actionable projects on the ground that are going to make a difference to people's lives. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts.
3: And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepker.
1: Well, the government's levelling up agenda gets a dose of reality from business today. The CBI says that Boris Johnson must reverse decades of benign neglect of Britain's regions and reduce London's dominant position in the UK economy. That comes after the government's integrated plan for railways, which was scrapped, which scrapped part of the HS2 rail project, was seen as a blow to Yorkshire and some other parts of Northern England.
3: Well, Karen Billamoria, the president of the CBI, spoke to me on Bloomberg Daybreak just this morning about the UK's um, biggest business lobby group and their call for more consultation and involvement for businesses, the CPI also wants a written plan to go with the levelling up slogan.
4: Let's be, let's, let, let's be fair about this. Governments of the day have tried this. You've had left the local enterprise partnerships. You've had different ways government have tried to make this happen in the past. Some of it not that successfully. So we're saying we are going to find a way of doing this by doing it on the ground, giving lessons from the ground, and then you can make it work.
3: So, Lord Bill Amoria there, speaking to me earlier on Bloomberg Daybreak. Well, the CBI wants the focus to be on delivering economic growth in every region and also on clusters of economic activity across the nations and regions.
1: Well, let's put that to our guest this morning, David Johnson, Conservative MP for Wantage in Oxfordshire. Thanks so much for joining us on the programme today, David. Now, just could you address that point made by the CBI there that we really need a way of measuring the success of levelling up. Otherwise, it's just kind of... Uh, Meaningless phrases. How how do we get something a bit more concrete on on paper?
4: Well, I think we've had quite a number of things on conc- uh, on on paper. Not just last, uh, not not least last week, where ninety six billion pounds was announced to be invested in transport. We've got a whole host of free ports that have been agreed. We've got the towns fund, which is already helping to improve high streets and and town centres all across the country. So. Um, I'm not surprised by the criticism of the of the CBI, because I've 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 watched them for enough uh, years now to know that um, they don't tend to agree any government announcement with. Yes, that sounds enough. That sounds about all we need. Um, but I do think there's a lot more than that they're allowing for
3: ouch that's the biggest business lobby in the country the government's not going to get its levelling up agenda very far if it doesn't work hand in hand with businesses surely and and on that hs2 issue david i mean scrapping that line to leeds high speed rail 2 how can that be seen really as as not being something of a of a betrayal of commitments to to the north
4: well look i'm always a bit careful about talking about areas that i don't represent that. I think it's mm, best for, sure. for people who represent them to. But what I would say about this, because uh, I suppose I've been connected to the argument about HS2 in the South being an Oxfordshire MP, although it doesn't go through Oxfordshire. And what I would say is that one of the criticisms of HS2, and I support it, is uh, that people say you need better connections, you need better local connections, you need better east-west connections. And so while I continue to support HS2, there are quite a number of my colleagues who are pleased with, with the shift in position because they think it's more important to be able to connect people across their region. You know, very obvious example there is Nottingham to Birmingham, which if people have tried to do it and I have, takes far, far longer than it should. And um, now I think we'll take 27 minutes with this, with this new investment. Um, so there's there's two sides to this. The overall HS2 is being committed to. But it's absolutely right that we should improve connections in people's regions too.
1: And £96 billion uh, and lots of talk of improving railways in the Midlands and the north. I'm sure that will be very welcome. But what about Oxfordshire? What about the south? Do you worry that uh, the south is, is going to be ignored over the next uh, 10 years as the government focuses on the north of the country?
4: I don't think it will be ignored. I think the job of of MPs in the south is to um continually highlight the fact that that we have issues too. I mean I actually support a lot of investment going into to the Midlands into the north because these regions have been forgotten by by governments for decades and their needs are greater overall. Um, but it doesn't mean there's no need in, in southern constituencies. And, you know, in the southwest, for example, there's very considerable need. I've got a station that, that I would like to see reopened because of the number of houses that have gone into that area and the and the um, transport connections are poor. And if you remove London from southeast spending, the southeast doesn't look as, as good as it is as people might think compared to other regions of the country. So I'm very supportive of the of investment being weighted to those areas that have been forgotten. Mm. But I think there will still be some going into those in the south.
3: OK, I want to talk to you about climate change and, and green. Mm. Um, Boris Johnson's mm. announced more electric vehicle charging points, a plan that would require all new homes and buildings in England to have EV charging points from 2022. Now, the issue again there is sort of one of levelling up, that the South would end up benefiting most, and then other regions would be left out of the kind of electric revolution, and, and that's a bit of a concern.
4: Yeah, I don't, I don't accept that, actually. I mean, some of the biggest supporters of... of- Um, The Prime Minister's uh, 10-point plan for a green industrial revolution are my colleagues in northeast seats, in places like Teesside, where they can see the new technology that's being developed there that's creating new jobs where there haven't been those jobs before. Now, a broader um, issue I think we've got to tackle for the whole country, which is something I often talk about, is how we help those from low-income backgrounds to make the changes that they need to to make, because too often it's affluent people judging the holiday car home choices of, of those on lower incomes who might like to make changes but can't. So I think today's announcement for many more electric charging points is something I'm written to about often. I think my constituents will be pleased but we've also got to help those on lower incomes make those transitions.
1: Now, you're sponsoring a bill, a private member's bill in the Commons, to enable electricity generators to become local electricity suppliers. Just explain Mm -hmm. what that means and why you think it's important.
4: Yeah, in a nutshell, people have now got solar panels on their roofs. They're doing all sorts of things to try and generate renewable sources of, of uh, energy, but they can't at the moment sell it to their local communities because the way that we buy our energy is through largely the big six suppliers who control 90% of the market. And if you want to be able to sell energy to your local community, you have to pay very high startup costs in the region of a million pound plus to be able to access the grid and you need to be able to say you're going to supply the whole country where you might just want to supply your little village. Um, And so what the local electricity bill is is about is about removing those hurdles so that in a local area, a local sports hall, a local community group can generate the energy for their local area and Mm. be able to sell it without these very high costs they have to pay at the moment.
3: Yeah. But economically, it makes little sense on this sort of small scale, at least for now, and not perhaps for the foreseeable future. I mean, wouldn't it be better to have real subsidies to install, for example, um, new generations of boilers to insulate homes and retrofit properly? I mean, the amount of money that people can make from sticking a solar panel, expensive to install, and then sell the electricity back, it just doesn't make economic sense.
4: Well, it's not about it's not about making the money from it. It's about a local, you know, village. I've got sixty four villages in my constituency. Many of them very, very passionate about uh, tackling climate change, and they want to be able to play their part, and they want to be able. You know they would love to be able to buy a renewable source of, of energy that's mm. generated just down the road. And that's what this is about. And it's also about spreading the the supply because what you have at the moment are six big companies that, in the UK that control 90% of, of the market. In Germany, where you've had a flowering of much more community-based energy, the big firms only control 40% of the market. So even if you didn't care about climate change, and and most people do, but even if you didn't care, it works on the grounds of of competition and supporting small organisations too.
1: Now, members of Parliament are due to vote today on the uh, government's social care uh, changes and reports that Boris Johnson is facing another rebellion from backbenchers uh, over the plans uh, there are worries that this has only come out in the last few days there are worries that poor people could be forced to sell their homes despite the the promises of the government what are you planning to do in the debate today are you happy with how the government set out the, the plans
4: Well, we're going to be debating it over the next two two days and i've got on my desk a a, a big pile of uh, Briefings from all sorts of organisations as well as the bill to, to really go through this carefully. I mean, I think um, my view at the moment is I'm pleased that a government is finally gripping this uh, because it's something that's been put off by, again, by governments for decades. So I'm I'm glad that we're finally putting in money that we need to making reform that we need to. Of course, the devil is in the detail, which is what I'll be studying to mm. today. Um, but I think in general, uh, myself and my colleagues are pretty supportive of these reforms.
3: But in brief, the message from charities is that it's going to hit poorer people the hardest.
4: Well, I, I don't accept that, but I'm going to read the, the, the argument for that um, as we debate the bill today.
5: Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Christmas
1: family gatherings in Britain will be able to go ahead as normal and there's no evidence to suggest that extra virus restrictions will be needed. That's according to the government. It's, plan- it's banking on a vaccine booster programme and light-touch social restrictions to keep a lid on the pandemic, even as other parts of Europe impose fresh lockdown measures. The UK has recorded a high number of daily infections since relaxing most rules in the summer, but the pressure on the NHS is sustainable, according to the government.
3: Meanwhile, Boris Johnson says that he expects people to resume working in their offices rather than stay at home, as they have done during the pandemic. Johnson's been speaking to the business leaders at the Confederation of British Industries conference today. Johnson saying that it's not just young people who need to be in the office to learn and compete and to pick up social capital.
1: Well, the number of children in care in England could reach almost 100,000 by 2025, according to new research from the county council's network. They say the figure would represent a 36% increase over the course of a decade and would add to pressure on budgets, which they say are already under unprecedented pressure. As of March 2020, there were more than 80,000 children in care in England.
3: Well, now, let's discuss the issue of racism in sports, something that has dominated over the last couple of weeks in Britain. Claims by the former cricket player Azeem Rafiq about racism, which have really rocked Yorkshire County Club, leading to the resignation of several top officials. Rafiq, who was born in Pakistan but moved to England when he was 10, captained the national youth team and eventually became Yorkshire captain in 2012.
1: Well, during his time at the club, he says he suffered consistent abuse, including the use of racist language about his Pakistani heritage. Rafiq says the abuse, bu- abuse left him close to taking his own life. Well, let's discuss this with Paul Kearns, Deputy Chief Executive of Show Racism, The Red Card. Now, the organisation was set up in the 90s to tackle racism in football and has now expanded to work in other sports. Paul, thanks so much for joining us today. Now, everyone knows about the problems that football used to have with, with racism. Were you surprised by Rafiq's experience in, in cricket?
2: Yeah, I think to a certain degree I was. I think um, we're well aware at Show Racism the Red Card that we have a problem with racism in British society. We're, we're also well aware that as long as we have a problem with racism in society, then we, we will see that problem manifest within sports as well. But I think traditionally, um, over many years, we've seen um, racism manifest within football. Um, and this has been a an, a, a, an interesting... Development to see the level and the scale of, of, of casual racism across all levels of cricket. You know, Azim's been very clear that this is something that, that's happened um, throughout his life from the grassroots level and something that he's seen at the grassroots level. But sadly, right through to the, to the higher echelons of the game as well.
3: Um, Rafiq has, um, has been dubbed, has been seen as a whistleblower but there had been reports flagging some of these issues um, you know, that, that cricket has uh, in the English game some years prior to this why do you think um, it was Rafiq's testimony that has has sort of swayed on an issue that is so problematic but has sort of been ignored in cricket so far?
2: I think that is the exact problem it's either been ignored or it's not been taken seriously enough and Azim Rafiq has been absolutely resolute and, and determined and, and dogged in his in his pursuit of this issue because it's something that that's tested him and his family um to the extreme. He's he's been very clear that, you know, he's had suicidal thoughts and he's he's he feels it's impacted and um, ended his career within the game. But also from a human point of view he's he's made it very clear that he doesn't want anybody else to have to go through and, and experience what he has. Um, and I think I think it's that human side. When we saw the human side of it laid bare before the select committee last week, we saw the the impact firsthand mm. on him, on, on his family, and what he's had to go through. I think I think that's opened the world's eyes and ears to to the level of the problem, and the scale of the problem within the game.
1: How widespread do you think the problem is within within cricket?
2: As I said before, I think, I think it, it's endemic at all levels of the game. It, you know, it, it's, it, it's well documented that it's a problem at grassroots level, but there's, there's a report out that says you know it, it's stopping players from, from a certain level of the game reaching the very top levels of the game, and I think that's very damning, very damaging for the game. I think this whole issue has put not only Yorkshire County Cricket Club under a spotlight but i think it's put the english game and the english cricket board under a spotlight and it's it's got to be very interesting and i think the world is watching and waiting to see how they react to that um azim rafiq also said that what we have to do is is, is keep focusing on this issue and and not start to look the other way because he felt that yorkshire cricket club will take a different viewpoint on this in a couple of months time once once the heat starts to die down and i think i think Mm. we can't allow that i think we have to keep um the issue in the spotlight we have to keep our focus on the english cricket board to to see what happens next they've said that lessons will be learned they've said that changes will be made and i think as i say i think the world is watching and waiting to see to see what that will be
3: what would you advise them to do then? English football has been seen as doing um, a good job in terms of cracking down on the problem after much pushing and driving and campaigning. But it is now, many years later, seen as having done a, a good job. What would your advice be to to cricket as they also have to tackle this this issue, sort of root and branch?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think English, English cricket needs... To take a long hard look at itself i think i think reform is required but show racism the red card we we've, we've said now for 25 years that education is is the key to tackling this issue and and that's been a big part of the fight within sports what sorry within football and what's been really encouraging with, with looking at the football model is that it, it's been taken as seriously as the top level and also from the bottom up, fans groups organised against racism within their stadia in the early 1990s. But it was taken very seriously at the top level by the PFA, the FA, the Premier League. And that's why I think the focus has to be on the English cricket board to see how seriously they're going to take this issue, what, what they're going to do about it, what, what programmes they're going to implement for what we what we have to be very clear is that education is, is, is the key here because we have to tackle mindsets, we have to tackle language, we have to tackle behaviour. We have to make people understand the impact and the consequences of, of their behaviour, of this, this casual racism that Hassim Rafiq was was subjected to on an almost daily basis within the dressing room. And we have to we have to build empathy and have people realise the impact, the consequences of their behaviour. and give give them the opportunity to change, give give the English cricket board the opportunity to change the culture of the game and for clubs to change the culture of their dressing rooms.
1: How long did it take to tackle the problem in football? Because it was a a big problem, wasn't it? If you went on the terraces in in the 80s, racism was just sort of something which just happened, wasn't it? Whereas it it isn't now. How how long did that shift take?
2: I think, well... (laughs) You know, as I said, it's show race in the red card. We, we've been trying to tackle this issue for 25 years now. I, I think you're right that within the 1980s and, and probably early 90s as well, racism was widespread on the terraces within the game of football. But it's, it's, a, it's a gradual shift away from that mindset. But once once big organisations at the top of the game, once the clubs get involved, once the players get involved, we do start to see those those minds mind. mind that shift and change and and that be, that behavior becomes unacceptable and, be, and and becomes it's it's unwelcome within within the stadium but as i say we we can't make those kind of changes overnight mm. but if we if we educate the right people if we get the clubs on board if we get the governing bodies on board if we get the players on board then that's a, that's a united approach at, at the very top levels of the game to say that we won't accept this behavior within our game anymore and that, that's been one of the big changes within football and sadly yeah. we still see we we still see problems within football from time to time and, and that's because, because we have racism outside of the football stadium we have racism in our society sadly
3: yeah i mean and as you point out racism within society is endemic and it is a stubborn issue i mean it certainly didn't go away you know with the world cup and so on just recently the government report, though, that came out earlier this year, how damaging is it that you get a government-sponsored report, for example, denying even the existence of institutional racism within Britain, and yet you have um, Rafiq speaking to MPs on this very issue?
2: Well, well, again, how, how powerful a message and a story is that that, that Azim Rafiq has put, has put forward to the Select Committee. He's, he's given a very clear... Very demonstrable example of institutional racism that does exist, and he's also made very clear and laid bare the consequences and impact of that on individuals. So, I think that's what again another reason why this is such a powerful story. But I think at the same time, you know, my mind goes back to Tyrone Mings from the from the England football team and his comments after the Euros, um, and and after the social media abuse that that was aimed at the three black players who missed penalties tyrone called out politicians and he said you, you don't get you don't get to call out the social media abuse when you didn't stand in support of us taking the knee and in support of black lives matter before the tournament um and, and i i think that's that also to me harks back to this report you, you you don't get to deny the existence of racism and then all of a sudden decide that you want to call it out at a later date that, that has to be that that you might a unified approach. Bloomberg
1: Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.